Hello, and welcome to this week's Shoot the Moon podcast. You're um, broadcasting live and direct from uh, Revenue Rocket World Headquarters in Bloomington, Minnesota. As a reminder, Revenue Rocket focuses on helping IT services companies grow through facilitating M&A transactions and helping with optimizing growth strategies. Today, I've got my partner, Ryan Barnett, on the call with me. Ryan, welcome. Hey, Mike. It's uh, good to be recording a, a little podcast here and, and uh, have a couple of ideas for you today. Uh, I wanted to start with uh, just trends that we're seeing in the market. And then uh, what we've seen in the last couple of weeks in uh, when we have been negotiating deal is that uh, working capital and working capital calculations have been one of the, the big things that have uh, cropped up as discussion points. So I want to do a bit of education and understanding around working capital and where it matters in a deal. But Mike, I just want to start out. It seems like in the second half of the year, uh, things have changed a little bit on people willing to take a call when it comes to selling their business. But as our listeners may know, we, we provide uh, both buy side services to our clients, which means that we're helping companies acquire other companies and uh, finding the right strategic, cultural and financial fit for them as well as helping companies sell, uh, sell their companies. And, and we've seen a, just a little bit of an uptick in people actually answering their phones. And, uh, you know, it typically says, hey, you're about the third or fourth person I talked to this week. But once this conversation going, there seems to be people willing to consider selling uh, their firm. And, Mike, I'm just kind of curious if you've seen the same. And, and B, uh, if you're, if you, why do you think that is? Well, I, you know, I do. Uh, I have seen it. I think people are, you know, hopefully the dust has settled for much, uh, for the most part due to the COVID pandemic. Um, I think a lot of people had their, uh, business kind of upended, um, during the pandemic. Um, and it took them a while to get it reestablished, uh, and reestablished in a way that was consistent and predictable. Um, so I, I, you know, I attributed some of that just to the distraction of focusing, uh, internally on the business and then ultimately, uh, getting back to, um, you know, more, um, a little more breathing room, their ability to field calls. Um, certainly they focused on, uh, uh, it's not, not that businesses have been necessarily seen a material downturn, uh, in the pandemic, although some did in the kind of IT services space. Um, but certainly what we're seeing and based on conversations lately, uh, 2021 has been a banner year, uh, for most, uh, most of our clients and our targets and, and folks that we've been talking to, uh, on behalf of our clients. Um, and there's certainly a lot more conversations going on about, you know, the merits of putting together a deal strategically and culturally. Um, and people are more open to exploring those things right now. Yeah, you know, in general, I think we have seen these rising valuations. And in general, uh, if you see that long enough, you finally say, hey, maybe this is the right time. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, Ryan. I think it's been fascinating. Certainly, I think the market will continue to consolidate uh, through 21 and 22 and beyond. Um, we certainly don't see an end in sight to the market, um, um, you know, the – the rather frothy market, uh, which has driven valuations. Um, 
And, um, you know, I think the more and more people have conversations about combinations, they realize sort of where the real market is for their business. Uh, and maybe they're open to having conversations that are somewhat more realistic for value now um, and not just based on kind of what they feel the business is worth. So, you know, I mean, probably a multifactorial reason why these calls are happening. And the last question on this, Mike, is uh, do you think that we are six months uh, or seven months now into the year of a new uh, political administration uh, and, and that may not be as favorable when it comes to uh, taxes, uh, when it comes to business uh, combinations? Well, I, I do think that, you know, tax considerations – uh, are driving many sellers right now. Uh, we have, we do have sell side mandates with clients that have come to us and said, Hey, the reason we're going to market now is because of a potential tax change. We hadn't planned to go to market yet, but we're coming to market now because we're concerned about a tax change. Now, how real that tax change is and when it'll occur and if it'll occur, you know, I think is open for debate. Um, I think there's plenty of room for the current administration to make moves on corporate taxes that don't involve changes or material changes to capital gains. I think the fear that a lot of sellers have is that there's going to be a, you know, elimination of the, of the capital gains tax or, you know, nine, 10% increase in the capital gains tax, which certainly if you're selling a business that have a very material impact on the amount of money you get to keep. But uh, I'm, I'm a bit of an outlier on that. I think there's going to be other things like the book tax and, you know, other uh, levers that the current administration can pull to sort of increase, you know, taxes from corporations as well as enforcement activity that will occur uh, in lieu of capital gains increases. And I think if a tax bill is going to get passed, it's probably going to have to look more like that because, I do think that there's certainly plenty of people uh, in the Congress that are not going to be favor, uh, favorably looking upon a, a capital gains increase. And certainly that'll be a, a kind of a last resort type increase, I think, uh, if they're going to get something passed this year. Yes, exactly. So, well, that's it. It's, it's interesting. I think it's uh, overall I certainly see the worry uh, from our clients and, and co companies coming to market and that there could be radical changes. But I think no matter what the political environment, uh, it's smart to be cautious about how those yeah, – you have to we'll put it this way. You have to put – you have to incorporate taxes in order in the whole – when you're looking at your deal and how to get that done. And that may change a bit, but uh, you have to understand, uh, work with your accountant on careful tax planning on how that could impact the future. Yeah, and just to add that, I mean, it's a material thing, uh, not only in the States, but certainly in Canada. We have a lot of listeners in Canada and a lot of our clients are, frankly, in Canada. Uh, and this is similar around the world for global tax policy. There's structuring that you can do to be tax efficient in preparation for selling a business. And we certainly would recommend that all business owners understand those options and they understand those well in advance of selling, maybe even years or, um, you know, many years in advance of selling. That's certainly the case in Canada. There's some structuring that has to be put in place. There's certainly structuring here 
in the U.S. as it relates to your classification of a corporation to make it more efficient for selling a business tax-wise, a small business, um, and particularly a services business. And so, you know, you should be having those conversations with your accountant to make sure that uh, you've done the early groundwork so that even if you're not ready to sell now, uh, that you're you're in a position to do so when the time comes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and let's uh, transition a little bit. The the other topic that we have seen uh, as of late is uh, companies. When when you sell your company, uh, there is typically a number of different uh, transactions you can have. Uh, so, um, Mike, can you just explain to the audience something that uh, you hear? Uh, cash free, debt free. What's that mean? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things on structuring. We get a lot of questions about. You know, I want an asset deal or a stock deal or I want, you know, working capital to be a certain way. You know, we've talked about, you know, assets and stock deal before. I can quickly address that again here, which is for a tech services company, uh, it really doesn't matter all that much. You know, I think in some cases there's advisors in the market that give uh, bad advice. Uh, typically, these are accountants. Uh, and they may be lawyers that are used to more um uh, you know, what I'll call um, uh, asset intensive businesses like manufacturing companies or quicks or restaurants or or even, you know, uh, convenience stores and things like that, uh, where they have a lot of assets. And it does make a huge difference tax wise to a seller if it's a stock deal or an asset deal. In a technology consultancy, it really doesn't matter all that much. It has much more to do with the allocation of that purchase price and how it's allocated to goodwill or other asset classes. Um, these kind of go hand in hand with working capital. Working capital, you know, to sell a business, you need to sell it as a going concern. Um, and the definition of a going concern would mean that it has enough working capital in the business to sell. A lot of sellers get advice from their advisors that they want to keep all of the assets in the business and try to, you know, sell the business with the liabilities. And that just doesn't really work. You have to have enough assets in the business and the appropriate allocations in the liability side of the business in order for there to be enough working capital to operate the business by the buyer after the deal is done. And they don't have to be able to operate it assuming no revenue or, you know, no profit, you know, blah, blah, blah for a long time. But you need to cover about a month's worth of expenses typically. And so um, understanding that clearly uh, is important. Now, most small businesses, most particularly IT services businesses, if they're run well, um, are overcapitalized, have more working capital than they need, and thus the sellers can harvest some of that capital or all of that excess working capital, we call it, uh, or the value in excess. Sometimes people will use that term. Understanding what that working capital ratio is, what's involved, what a buyer needs to run a going concern is important. Um, Cash-free, debt-free is not a very uh, good strategy for the seller in a growing business. And the reason why that is, um, is because you have a lot of your asset tied up in receivables. And this is particularly important if you're in a fast growth services firm. And it leaves too much capital in the business or an excess amount of working capital, in our opinion, in the business for the buyer. Um, it also isn't very buyer-friendly uh, because oftentimes if someone 
does negotiate what we call a cash-free, debt-free deal, um, it requires the buyer to put cash into the deal in the first month to cover operating expenses. Uh, the theory is a good one, but it's one that doesn't always work perfectly in practice because it assumes that that buyer is going to be collecting AR throughout the month and that AR is going to fund operating expenses for payroll, which is a significant cost in an IT services business um, and other expenses. And as much as that's true uh, and will be the case over time, um, they can't assume that they're going to be able to, in a transaction, when things are changing with a customer base, that they're going to pay as consistently as they have up to that point. It will take a little bit of time for them to get used to the new buyer, making sure that, you know, if there was changes and who they should pay, that they've made those adjustments in their system. And it can create a little bit of a delay in collections. Doesn't mean they're bad, but just it's a delay. So we think it's a better idea to have uh, a combination of cash and receivables to cover off the liabilities and their accruals in the business um, and make it a little easier for the buyer to operate the business without putting cash in and be more fa- and be more fair to the seller to take excess working capital out. Yeah, that's, that's really insightful uh, and helpful. It's one of those areas of, that you don't necessarily think of until later in the transaction, typically. Um, that being said, as of late, we've seen a number of deals that have tried to look at cash early on in a negotiation. In fact, we, we've even seen a, 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 a bit of an attempt to, to calculate working capital before an LOI. Uh, so it, we, that's, uh, typically, we don't see it that early. Um, when you start bringing cash in to the, into the equation, Mike, uh, when you are working through a deal? Well, it's typically after the letter of intent and it comes in through due diligence. Oftentimes there's a comment in the letter of intent about adequate working capital, which is fine. It doesn't have to be any more detailed than that. Or it can specify a working capital ratio. But seldom does it get to a working capital peg, as we call it, or the exact number um, until we're through due diligence and it's part of the definitive agreement. Um, To begin to look at cash and working capital ahead of the letter of intent is premature. It's premature predominantly because working capital is a moving target. How much of it is in AR and cash and depending on invoicing cycles, um, how much money is left in the bank. Uh, versus that has been paid out or is dividend out is a number that changes every month uh, and at points in time throughout a month in a typical cycle. So, you know, we think it's best practice to probably um, outline at a minimum that there'll be adequate working capital left in the business and excess working capital will be determined and able to be kept by the seller in the uh, letter of intent. Or you can specify a working capital ratio or what some call a coverage ratio into the letter of intent. And then the exact number is calculated later and documented in the definitive agreement. Interesting. And then when you're talking about enterprise value, do you typically include cash? No. Um, enterprise value certainly will include adequate working capital. So back to this point of you know, it's a going concern and it has enough capital to operate. That's what everyone wants. Now, that 
discussion about what's adequate is a negotiation. Um, and, you know, some buyers want all the working capital that someone's had in the business um, over the last year average or two years. And generally in small businesses, that is uh, that advantages the buyer. It's unfair to the seller for all the reasons I've talked about before. Uh, we just had a conversation the day we're recording this podcast um, with a client that has, you know, $3 million in excess working capital in their balance sheet in cash. Um, that's uh, beyond what's needed to operate and run the business from a working capital perspective. Um, that should be the seller's money. Um, it's not something that would be included in the transaction uh, typically. And so, you know, enterprise value, the way we see it is to define it as a going concern and then to be able to strip um, excess working capital. Um, there's another reason for that. It's not the way it is always in business valuations is that most businesses in IT services are valued based on free cash flow and a multiple of free cash flow. Um, not book value. There's certainly book value considerations and, you know, add the assets on the balance sheet in excess of liabilities impacts book value. But in models that we run, we de-emphasize the book value. Some, some people that do valuations and IT services completely disregard book value. Um, we think at a minimum it should be, um, uh, it should be, there should be a consideration. Uh, because certainly if the business is undercapitalized, it needs to impact uh, valuation or impact a true up. Um, just like if it's overcapitalized, the seller can harvest that money. More often than not, we see that small businesses, if they're successful and growing, um, they tend to be overcapitalized or have too much working capital or excess working capital on the balance sheet at close. Yeah, very very interesting. Uh, it, it's a it's a topic that uh, moves so much, and uh, there's a it, it seems like a, it's something that doesn't necessarily get resolved until nearly the day of close. So I know when there's pushing and shoving uh, on deals, we see this most often around working capital. Mike, is there just to wrap this kind of conversation up? Why is it a, such a contested item throughout? Well, I think private equity firms have had a history of trying to take excess working capital to kind of cut to the chase on it. Um, the guys that try to do cash-free, debt-free deals, um, that advantages the buyer and it advantages a buyer that has capital to put into the business because almost all of these businesses, if it's done as cash-free, debt-free, the buyer will have to float one month's expenses uh, to be able to get through a collection cycle. They've, for a long time, private equity buyers required that. They wanted to do that. They would say, we're going to approach this deal as cash-free, debt-free. Now, I should say that all deals are generally debt-free from a long-term debt perspective. And if not, uh, that debt needs to be reconciled with purchase price uh, at the time of close or ahead of close. And... Um, and the only liabilities that really come by are uh, come by uh, past are what we call trade payables or uh, or you know putting some things on the balance sheet that would be appropriate for you to put there 
uh, into liabilities like accruing for a payroll. So having an accrual for a payroll or a month's of payroll is an appropriate best practice when you're looking at working capital and working capital ratios, for example. Uh, I mean, in IT services, it's the biggest expense. So the the whole cash-free, debt-free concept came out of um, capital market operatives that wanted to advantage or get their hands on more working capital than probably needed. Um, and in a perfect world, if you had perfect receivables uh, collection uh, at 30 days or less, and you were not growing the business at all, then cash-free, debt-free could work and be fair. I think if you're if there's variables around the growth of the business, let's say the business is scaling and growing materially, which means you're continuing to grow month after month, um, and or maybe your DSO, your sales outstanding, or your AR agings are showing more than 30 days, in that scenario, it's always going to advantage the buyer um, as it relates to kind of fair working capital. Uh, and we just don't know that that works out. We've even seen some buyers want the seller to clear the trade payables, um, which is completely, uh, we think, a big land grab on uh, on capital. And because, you know, working capital is sort of a, uh, not well understood principle uh, for most business owners. It's an area where people can take advantage of a seller, frankly, um, and, you know, begin to subsidize their purchase price. Uh, and so it's probably a good business case to have a M&A advisor in the middle who negotiates working capital all the time um, and can help you get your fair share of that excess working capital or what I'd say all of that excess working capital that's not needed to run the business moving forward. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, we're happy to help. And that's something that is core to, to every deal that we get done. Uh, Mike, this, uh, that's all the questions I've got for you today. I appreciate uh, you uh, sorry, getting through this and I'll let you wrap it up. Sounds great, Ryan. So uh, with that, tie a ribbon on it. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed our conversation about working capital. Certainly if you have any questions about your own working capital or how you would cap calculate uh, a reasonable amount of working capital uh, in your business pursuant to a sale, we'd be happy to advise you on that. And uh, likewise, happy to help you uh, in any way we can on the M&A front or uh, yeah, optimizing your strategy to grow. Hopefully you'll tune in next week when we have a, a new podcast. Uh, coming to you from uh, uh, from sunny, warm uh, Minnesota, talking about M&A and strategy for IT services firms. Take care and have a good week.